0: Sing. Praise the Lord. Great is the Lord, He is holy and just. By His
1: power we trust in His love. Great is the Lord, He is faithful and true. By His mercy, He
0: Have a seat if you don't mind. We want to welcome you here and we're glad you're present today as we uh, begin our, our worship together. We also welcome those who are viewing us virtually and we thank you for tuning in each and every week and uh, we're glad you're present today and uh, look forward to our time of celebration, time of worship, a time of, of just uh, focusing on the Lord and, and today's theme is kind of on the, on the theme of the glory of God. And hopefully before you leave today and you conclude our service by attending virtually that you'll understand the, 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 the theme and the idea of what the glory of God is is all about. And so today uh, we worship God and uh, and we be still and know that He is God and recognize His presence uh, in and through our life. So let's begin as we pray together. Father, we, we thank You that You grant to us uh, this beautiful opportunity to worship together in, in body and in spirit, to be able to focus upon who you are and your love and your grace, to recognize that, that you are a God who's in control of all things around us. Father, we, first of all, we pray for peace across our nation, and we ask that you would touch all the cities all around and we know that it's important that voices be heard, but not through violence. And we ask for peace. We also recognize uh, that, that even in this pandemic, the things that are still going on, that you provide the protection and you provide uh, good health, not only for, for our congregation, the body of people who tune in each week, but, but all f- through our entire world. And Father, we look to you because we know that you are our caregiver, our provider, our physician. But as we worship here this day, uh, may your name be lifted up and glorified above all else. And you be seen, and and your face is what we see. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen. Amen. true God today we want to bring a message that's entitled the face of an angel now uh, when you're thinking about the face of an angel you may be thinking about your precious spouse that's okay yeah but we're going to move beyond that and think of something a little bit different as we think about uh, the face that that others see when they look at us, it's kind of a spinoff of last week when we were talking about uh, shining as stars and reflecting uh, God through our lives. But today we're looking at it from a different standpoint of what others will see when they look into our face. And the face of an angel found in Acts chapter 6, verses 8 through 15. In Acts chapter 6, verses 8 uh, through Fifteen, And the focal verse is really verse 15 of that passage that we're going to read. Beginning in verse 8, it's also the passage that you may be very familiar with when it comes to uh, Stephen. You know, Stephen being uh, the one who would be stoned to death because of his belief. But here, beginning in verse 8, it says, Stephen, full of grace and power, was performing great works or great wonders and signs among the people. Then some of, from what is called the Freedmen's Synagogue composed of both the Cyrenians and the Alexandrians and some from Cilicia and Asia came forward and disputed with Stephen. But they were unable to stand up against the wisdom and the spirit by whom he spoke. And then they induced men to say We heard him speaking blasphemous words against Moses and against God They stirred up the people, the elders and the scribes So they came up, dragged him off and took him to the Sanhedrin They also presented false witnesses who said This man does not stop speaking blasphemous words against this holy place and the law For we heard him say that Jesus, this Nazarene, will destroy this place and change the customs that Moses handed down to us. And all who were sitting in the Sanhedrin looked intently at him and saw that his face was like the face of an angel. And so here is a beautiful passage of Scripture. Now we see the negative in there. We see where some are trying to stir up uh, to counteract and go against everything powerfully preached in, and presented through uh, the mouth and through the life of Stephen. But it was still of no avail. They could drag him away. They could put him, put him in prison. They could even stone him to death, and we know they would. But still, the power and the message of the Lord God would still come forth. And so we see what it's really all about. It goes down to verse 14. Verse 14 where it says we've heard him say that this Jesus, this Nazarene is going to destroy everything that was handed down to us through Moses. So that's really the problem. It has nothing to do with the power of God. It has nothing to do with Jesus. It has nothing to do, what it has to do with is that everything they were used to doing, their tradition, and the things that they saw as right, it was now going to be taken away from them. And they were rising up in revolt to keep their their way of life in place. And so, but when when they tried to do all that they did, and all of the negativism that's all around this passage, the one positive and the most important is the fact that when they did all that they did to Stephen and they looked back at him and said, Aha, we got you they noticed his face was like the face of an angel. So what made his face be uh, a face that attracted others to him? What was it about Stephen that caused the people to take notice? What was it in Stephen that caused them to take a step back and just relish for just a moment over the beauty that was seen in his face? It goes back to the power, the Spirit of God in and through His life. So let me ask you on the onset what will others see when they look into your face? What will others see when they look into your face? Now, I'm not necessarily talking about if our hair's in place or if our glasses need to be cleaned, (laughs) or or our tie needs to be straightened, or our dress needs to be ironed. I'm not talking about things like that. When people look into your face, what do they see? What is it that would say to someone else, there's something different about him or her that that I want to have from what they are displaying to me? You know, many of you have heard my testimony um, that I've shared over and over again, and I do not apologize for sharing that because it's, it's the testimony of God uh, taking hold of my heart and changing me. And, and it's a story that I'm proud of, not because of me, but because God would overlook me and He would grant to me grace and mercy in the place of the sin and the life that I was leading. But one of the things that attracted me to Christ was, yes, the church was a great place to be. The people around me was a great people around me. The, the, the words of encouragement and the friendship that, that was established through relationships, all that was great. But the one thing that attracted me to Christ and it was the fact that I knew something was different in my girlfriend at the time, who would later be my wife, Renee, as I saw something in her that I wanted for my own life. I couldn't put my finger on it that what it was at the time because I didn't have a concept. But yet I knew that she had something that I did not, and she was at peace and I was not. She understood life and I did not. She had purpose and I did not, and I wanted that. And when I looked into her face, I saw something greater than just a a person. There was something in her life that I wanted for mine. So what do others see when they look into your face? Well, let's think about the glory of God for just a moment, okay? The glory of God. and, And what does it mean to give God glory? What does it mean to give God glory? Now, in Joshua chapter 7 verse 19 and in Jeremiah chapter 13 verse 16 are two scriptures that help to answer for us what does it mean to give God glory, okay? Now, in in Joshua chapter 7 verse 19, it says this. So Joshua said to Achan, My son, give glory to God, the God of Israel. All right, if it just stops there, we say, okay, we understand the the admonition and the command that we're called to give God glory in and through our life. But the question is, how do we do that? How do you give greater glory to God, and how do I give greater glory to God? And here's the answer. He says, my son, give glory to the Lord, the God of Israel. And make a confession to Him. I urge you, tell me what you have done. And don't hide anything from me. Alright, in Jeremiah uh, chapter uh, 13 in verse 16. There is another scripture that says something about this glory. In verse 16 of Jeremiah 13. Give glory to to the Lord your God before he brings darkness before your feet stumble on the mountains at dusk you wait for light he brings darkness gloom and makes thick darkness so what is it? what is the one key element that's going to bring the most glory to God in and through your life and my life? the answer is right there in Joshua chapter 7. It doesn't seem like it's the most popular answer. It doesn't seem like it's the most exciting answer. It doesn't seem like it's the answer that, that satisfies and says, Ah, it's the aha moment. I understand. But the answer is, what brings God the greatest glory is when I get on my knees and I cast my heart before God, And I say to God, God, I have sinned. And I make that confession. If you want to bring glory to God in and through your life, and if you want your face to be a face of an angel, then make it a habit in your life as I do in mine to confess your sin before God every day and you give Him glory when you do because as we confess our sin, we're the cleanest we can be and the cleanest we can be is the Spirit of God inundating our very spirit and making us clean from the inside out, removing our sin as far as the east is from the west, cleaning it up as white as snow. And as a result of that, our life is presented before God. We give Him the greatest glory when we are the cleanest in His presence. But again, it doesn't sound like the most popular answer, does it? Does it doesn't sound like, man, this is this is what really makes it tick today for me? Because it's hard to admit when we're wrong. You know, it's hard to admit when you're wrong with your spouse and she's always right and I'm always wrong. It's, it's hard to admit that, but I get to that. You know, after 33 years, I've gotten to that point. But it's something different about when, when you, you and I have to admit that we are wrong, that this is wrong in my life, and I say to God, God, I give you my confession today, and we, we name it, and we're specific in that, that confession to God. It's not going to shock him. It's not going to say, whoa, that was a little too heavy today. You know, He's not shocked over anything that you can tell him and what I can tell him. There's nothing in our life that's going to cause God to run. He's just waiting for us to get to the point to where we get the cobwebs out and we get the junk out and we say to him, I can't handle the sin of my life and therefore I confess to you. But it's also a confession that he is Lord that He is God, that He is King, that He is majestic, that He is on His throne. He is the Father of all. It is a confession that we recognize that as the Scripture says, every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. We're confessing the Lordship of who God is. All this and that confession brings glory to God. And as a result, the face becomes the face of an angel. What did God say about glorifying his name? Another question. What did God say about glorifying his name? In John chapter 12, verse 28, it's basically the answer is, I have and I will. In verse 28 of John 12, it says, Father, glorify your name. And then a voice came from heaven. Have, have, I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. I have, and I will. Now, of course, this is a passage of Scripture where, you know, it's, it's more of a, a triumphal entry that's being described in the, in the Gospel of John about Jesus. And so people were wondering still, who is this Jesus? And, and, and the question is asked, what, what are we to do with this Jesus? And who is he? And God confirms that this Jesus is, is, is God in flesh. It's his son. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the second component of that trinity is being experienced fleshly right there before him. And he says, I have glorified my son, and I will do it again. At that moment, they understood that glorification. At that moment, they understood that that he is uh, different than any person that I'd ever met, that he stood out among all others. And yet, here was the glory of Jesus right before them. And I just wonder, is He is he mentioning here that I have glorified Him already and I will again, is He already fast-forwarding His mind, God fast-forwarding our minds to the cross, the empty tomb, and the resurrection, or is He fast-forwarding our minds to Him coming again? I think it's all the above. Because I promise you, when, when, when that trumpet is sound and the skies open up, and Jesus appears, there's going to be a a major celebration. It will become like a thief in the night to those who don't believe. But for those who believe, it's not like a thief in the night. It's a welcomed experience as he comes back. It'll be a time of celebration as we are raptured with him for eternity. And so that glorification, I imagine then if we could turn the mirror Even at a time like that, as you think about that moment when Jesus comes back for the church, if you could turn the mirror and put it on your face, I promise you it would be glowing. It would be the face of an angel. And so as we think about and continue to think about the glory of God and what He is doing, I just wonder as well that that God could possibly be, be giving us a hint That I have glorified my son and you have seen it and you will see it and you will continue to experience it. But I've got all of my children, all my sons, all my daughters and I will reflect that glory through my church. You and me. So let's look at three accounts of the glory of God that's recorded in Exodus chapter 33 and 34 and in Matthew chapter 17. In Exodus chapter 33, in verses 7 through 11, probably one of my favorite passages of that of Moses and what was taking place. It says in verse 7 of Exodus chapter 33, now Moses took a tent and he set it up outside the camp, far away from the camp. He called it the tent of meeting. Anyone who wanted to consult the Lord would go into into the tent of meeting. And then he went on to say uh, that, that outside the camp, whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people would stand up, each one at the door of his tent, and they would watch Moses until he entered the tent. Then Moses entered the tent, the pillar of cloud would come down and would remain at the entrance of the tent. And the Lord would speak uh, to, to Moses as, as a friend uh, to a friend. And so... You know, when you think of what Moses and and God is doing here together, there's a friendship that is is happening, a friendship that is being developed between Moses and God. And the people knew that. And when they saw Moses go into that tent, they realized that Moses was doing something a little bit different. Moses was experiencing something that was um, what everyone wanted to experience. They wanted to have a time to where they could sit down and they could um, say that they are having a friendship meeting with God. You know, it's something about when, say, Larry and I to sit down and discuss or Eric and I, and we would begin to talk. You know, something about, and we renew our friendship maybe uh, over the course of a week or a month. But there's something about the friendship with God when we go into that tent and we sit down and we have conversation with God, the tent that we set up in our personal lives, and we, we conversate with God, we listen to God, as God listens to us, and we realize that this moment, we don't want it to end, because we are having personal encounter with the Lord God. And what happens when Moses comes out the tent? When Moses comes out the tent, it's interesting that it says, as all the people saw the pillar of cloud remaining at the entrance of the tent, they would stand up and then bow and worship, each one at the door of his tent. The Lord spoke with Moses face to face, just as a man speaks with his friend. Then Moses would return to the camp, but his assistant, the, the young man, Joshua, son of Nun, would not leave the inside of the tent. I wonder why Joshua wouldn't leave. It's probably, it's probably like one of those moments where you go out to eat and you're eating and you're enjoying your meal and you're eating those rolls that's, that's covered with honey and, you know, those yeast rolls. And then, they, <laughs> I, I'm going to get you hungry if I keep on, I know that. And, and you're sitting there just nibbling and conversating and you're just chewing and chewing and chewing and, and you just don't want to leave. It tastes good. Joshua was at a point in his life that he knew it was good. He saw his servant. He saw the servant of God, and he saw the man that he followed. He saw his great example before him, place his heart and his life before God in a very personal, private manner. And he knew that inside that tent, there was a lot of good happening between Moses and God. And when Moses left the tent, Joshua dove in, and he wouldn't leave. He wanted the same experience. Why? Because when Moses came out of that tent, there was something about his face. There was something that displayed from Moses. Just like it was when he received the Ten Commandments, there was something about Moses that Joshua said, I want that. I want the same experience that Moses had. I want the encounter with God that Moses had. I want to glow just like Moses has glowed. And Joshua's trying to figure it out, and he knows, he understands that the glory of God happens when the person gets right with God and is honest with God, places their life before God, and God's Spirit touches them on the inside out. And as they move in life, people notice. When you've been with God The face of an angel Happens When you and I Have been with God And a part of that being with God Is the confession Of our sin and our life Face to face We call upon The Lord God Face to face as a friend uh, To God And he to us now, in Exodus chapter 34, verses 28 through 35, it also gives us a little bit more explanation about the radiance of Moses' face. In verse chapter 34 of Exodus, verses 28 through 35, Moses was there with the Lord 40 days and 40 nights. He did not eat bread or drink water, He wrote down on the tablets the words of the covenant, the Ten Commandments. As Moses descended from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the testimony in his hands as he descended from the mountain, he did not realize that the skin skin of his face shone as a result of his speaking with the Lord. When Aaron and all the Israelites saw Moses, the skin of his face shining or shone, they were afraid to come near him. But Moses called out to them, So Aaron and all the leaders of the community returned to him, and Moses spoke to them. Afterwards, all of Israel came near, commanded them everything the Lord, commanded them everything that the Lord had told him on Mount Sinai. When Moses had finished speaking with him, he put a veil over his face. But whenever Moses went before the Lord to speak with him, he would remove the veil until he came out. And after he came out, he would tell the Israelites what had been commanded and the Israelites would see that Moses' face was radiant and then Moses would put the veil over his face again until he went to speak with the Lord. Now we're talking about the revealing of God's glory. Why would Moses veil his face? Well, you got to keep in mind that it was a disturbance because they became fearful. The people didn't have the interaction with God. They didn't understand the glory of God to the fullest extent. They didn't understand exactly everything that was happening with Moses. And when Moses was there on the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights, they become weary and they become fearful that Moses wasn't coming back. And when he came down the mountain, he was glowing like a ghost. His face was as white and shining, and it was something different. Moses was displaying to them the glory of God's being shown through their life. The glory of God will scare the, the wits out of you if you're not in right relationship with him. And I have a feeling that the people at the base of the mountain were out of relationship with God through all that time and Moses came down from the mountain as if it was God himself in flesh and they realized that they had not seen they had not been with God like Moses had and they saw the sinfulness of their own life we know that happened as you go continue to read in and through Exodus while Moses was getting the Ten Commandments and receiving the Ten Commandments, the people become very restless. They erected idols. You remember, they, they put the gold idols up and they, they were getting a little antsy. They were trying to take matters in their own hands. They were becoming their own priests, uh, control of their own life. They didn't need God anymore. And then when Moses started coming down the mountain, they, it reminded them, oh my goodness, what I have missed And so when Moses, he had to veil his face, they weren't ready for that. They weren't ready for the shining moment in their life. But here is a beautiful account of the glory of God in and through Moses' life that would eventually permeate the existence of all the people that Moses was leading. And so here we see Moses, to where, where that radiance happens, it happens, and the radiance and the face of the angel in your life and mine, it happens when we're face-to-face with God as a friend to a friend, and we're having conversation with God, even in the point of confessing our sin and confessing Him as Lord. And yet, as, as we are before God, our faces are unveiled. In Matthew chapter 17, there is another scripture about the face, the glory of God. In Matthew 17, verses 1 through 8, 17 verses 1 through 8, it says, After six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and his brother John, and he led them up on a high mountain by themselves. He was transformed in front of them, and his face shone like the sun. Even his clothes became as white as light. And suddenly Moses and Elijah appeared to them, talking with them. Then Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it, it's good for us to be here. <laughs> if you won't, I will make three tabernacles here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And while he was still speaking, suddenly a bright cloud covered them, and the voice of the cloud said, this is my beloved son, take delight in him, listen to him. In other words, this is my beloved son, I am well pleased, listen to him. And when the disciples heard it, they fell face down and they were terrified. And Jesus came up and he touched them and said, get up, don't be afraid. And they looked up and they saw no one except him, Jesus alone. You know, I see these three disciples and especially, it's good for us to be here, duh. Of course it's good for you to be here. You're seeing things that no one else has seen. You're experiencing, you're experiencing the past, the present, and the future. You're seeing things that are beyond your comprehension. Sure it's good for you to be here. And he said, Well, let us build some tabernacles. Let's build, let's erect something here that, that will commemorate these, these, this event. And Jesus basically says, No. No. No, you, you're missing the point. And when they looked up, they saw Jesus, they saw his face when, when it was just him, and, and they were terrified, realizing that those who were, they could see was no longer seen, and now all they saw was Jesus, and they couldn't look at him. And then Jesus touched him and said, Just get up, get up, stand up, look me in the face. Because I'm going to do something that's going to transform the inside of you that's going to be reflected on your face and in your life from this day forward. And so they're seeing the face of God's glory right there before them. Jesus himself. There are times in my life to where, you know, I think symbolically we we look to heaven. We look up, you know, we realize God is with us wherever we are. His presence is here. We don't really have to look up. We don't have to look down. He, he's here. He's right here with us. But for us, we 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 understand that, that the sky will open and, and Christ will return. And we get the idea of Him coming from from the sky, from the heavens to the earth. We hear of heaven and earth. We hear up there, down there. <laughs> so we have that concept. And so sometimes... You may be just like me. I don't feel like I'm worthy to look up. I'm afraid that if I look up, he's going to see something that I don't want him to see. And so I want to look down. I think that here these disciples, they didn't really want to look into the face of Jesus because they they were not terrified over Jesus. Yes, they were terrified, according to Greek, over the fact it was like seeing a ghost. That's the meaning of it. But I think it goes beyond that. I think they were terrified because they realized that they were sinful and he was not. They realized that they were wretched and he was full of glory and grace. They were realizing that he he is the epitome of, of, of what their spiritual life needs to be and it just couldn't be that. And so here they were trying to figure out what was happening to them instead of just enjoying the moments in the glory of God, just relishing in the fact that it's it's nothing but just enjoying the presence of God at that very moment. So as we look at those three accounts of the glory of God, there's many others. That's just three that I picked out. But now the question is, how will others see the glory of God? How will others see the glory of God? Now, we understand the glory of God. We understand that we see it in Jesus. We see it in God. We see it when we make that confession. But how will others see the glory of God in and through our life when they look at our face and they are part of our life and we reach out and we touch them and we're with them and we're ministering to them, we're living life with them, we're being the people own people together? How will others see the glory of God? in Colossians chapter 3 I know I've thrown a lot of scripture at you today but, but Colossians chapter 3 verses 13 through 17 it says this and really I need to probably back up to verse 12 to stay in the context of the entire passage and many many versions and, and translations will title this as the Christian life alright therefore God's chosen ones holy and loved put on heartfelt compassion Kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, accepting one another and forgiving one another if anyone has a complaint against another. Just as the Lord has forgiven you, so also you must forgive. And above all, put on love the perfect bond of unity. And let the peace of the Messiah, to which you were also called in one body, Control your hearts. Be thankful. Let the message about the Messiah dwell richly among you, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom and singing psalms, hymns, spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. In whatever you do, in word and deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. Give thanks to God the Father through Him. There are a few, that we can unpack a lot of things in that, those, few, those few verses and probably could spend next Sunday still explaining about it. Of course, I wouldn't do that to you without at least a 10 minute break. But anyway, <laughs> so I want to give you a couple of things that are highlighted as you think about, and go back to the question how will others see the glory of God? What is, what is going to make the greatest impact in someone else's life? that when they, they are through in, you, in, in relationship with you or in conversation with you, they'll say, this is the thing that I could say that stood out to me that helped me to see God in or through his life or her life. Number one, it's through friendship. Now, you go back to verse 13, accepting one another. How do you accept one another? How do you accept one another? It goes back to a, a heart of friendship. It goes back to the point where you want to be friends with that person. It's hard to accept someone you don't like. It's hard to accept someone who's done you wrong. It's hard to accept someone that, that is just not where you want them to be in your life. But if you and I make a determination that we are wanting to be friends with the person who's hurt us, the ones we just do not like, or the ones that have done us wrong, if we decide we want to be friends with them, then it will put us in the, in the situation or on the platform that will help them to see that there's something greater within me than, than in the world, and it is God himself. Because there are some people in life, they are very lovable, and there are some people in life that you have to work at finding that lovable spot. That's just the way it is sometimes. But just because someone is more lovable and easily love than those who are not doesn't, doesn't mean that we're not to be friends with either one of them or one or the other. And so the friend, remember, having, going into the tent of meeting that Moses went into, he spoke to God as a friend to a friend. Now God's already considered us friends, even though there are many times in our life that we're unlovable. And it may be many times in our life that he's thinking, man, I could, I could not like you if I work at it. Just saying that loosely. But friendship, when people see that the reason why I can be a friend to the friendless and I can love to the, lovable, uh, the loveless and I can, I can be a friend to someone is because we realize we are friends with God. And we do not deserve it. We deserve hell, but He gives us heaven. We deserve punishment, but He gives us grace. We deserve the debt of our own sin, but he sets us free. And we realize that friendship is the same friendship we should offer to someone else. Second of all is the actual acceptance. Acceptance of one another and through that forgiveness. There's one thing about accepting, if someone says, okay, Benji, here's some some water for you to drink. I understand you're thirsty. It's one thing to accept that water and drink it. And, and, and it's another thing to where we accept a gift with no strings attached, with nothing else that we have to do in return. And so we accept someone not from a but or a... When, I, when you use the word but in a conversation, it means something else is coming. It's not a condition attached. You say, I accept you for who you are. Just as you are. And when we accept that person for who they are, they will understand what love is about when you say the love of God has touched me and that's why I accept you. And you know, you've heard me share the story back in December when Jeffrey Mackey called me after 13 years or so and and told me that his life had been turned around. And and I would say this to Jeffrey and I, I hope he, he's tuning in today as well because he still tunes in virtually with us. There was many times that Jeffrey was not an acceptable person. He couldn't be accepted because he wouldn't let it happen. But when God got a hold of his life and he fell on his knees and he confessed the lordship of God and confessed his sin before that lordship, he became very, very understanding of what it means to to be accepted in other words he was not the most lovable guy even though he had a lovable heart and even though he was a great friend still there were times where it was hard to get into the through the exterior to get into the interior well you and I if I would have said to Jeffrey Jeffrey drink your life away And let me put more pills in your mouth because you are a worst guy in the world. Just go ahead and die and get it over with because you're not doing anything good for yourself or this world. In fact, you're dragging us down. So why don't you just take this and die? That's the kind of attitude some people had. If I would have displayed that attitude to Jeffrey, he probably would have. But I said to Jeffrey, I love you. And when you get tired of chewing the dirt on the ground long enough, and when you raise your head off of the belly of the ground, I will be there, and I will want to hear your testimony of what God has done in your life. I'm thankful that he called me at midnight one night and said, Hey, bud, this is Jeffrey. This is what's happened to me. You and I must accept one another with no strings attached. Love them, accept them, be a friend to them without the conditions attached. Again, we're, we're, we're going back to the thought now. What is it? What, how are people going to see the face of the angel? It comes through a friendship and it comes through acceptance. And number three is through Forgiveness. Right there in the Scriptures, it says, to accept one another and forgiving one another if anyone has a complaint against another. Just as the Lord has forgiven you, you must also forgive. It is hard sometimes to forgive the person who was out to get you. It is hard to forgive the person who's figuratively spit in your face. It is hard to forgive the person who has ripped you of life. It's hard to forgive the person that's abused you emotionally, mentally, physically, uh, even spiritually. It's hard. I understand. I've been there. I've put on those shoes. I've tied those laces, and I have wanted to go backward and walk backward when I saw a certain person. It's hard to do that. But if you want them to see the face of an angel, you must forgive you got to let it go. I firmly believe that you can forgive and forget. You say, well, there's no way in the world I'll forget. Yes, you can. You can forget. It is a practice every day in your life to remind yourself of forgetting what others have done to you. Letting it go and seeing love instead of hate and seeing, seeing goodness instead of something that is bad. If you want someone to see the face of an angel, go up to him and say, I forgive you. Or, will you forgive me? And you say, how can you forgive? Well, God didn't need to forgive me. And he forgave me. In fact, he says that, that, that he's willing to lay down his life for his friends and he considers me a friend. And in fact, he laid down his life for this friend. So that I could be set free so that I can know the truth and the truth set me free if you want people to see a face of an angel not only be a friend to them and accept them and forgive them number four based on that scripture it says and above all put on love put on love which is the perfect bond of unity you know when you have love in a room or loving a church, or loving a family, loving an environment, it brings that group together. It bonds them together unlike any other unity. You throw in hate, it will divide. It will create. It'll create violence. We've seen it. It'll create division. It'll create heartache. But when you throw love in there, love seems to pull it together. And it's a work in progress. And it's something we must protect. So we put on love. It sounds like you just go to the closet and you say, okay, today I'm going to wear love. (laughs) Tomorrow I'm going to wear hate. That's not that. That's not what he's saying. He's saying allow the love of God to permeate the existence of who you are that it is the garment in your life that stays with you every day. So you put on love. Again, You want someone to see the face of an angel? Love them. Number five and last, and I'll move on from this, is is what it says. To, To move in the area of peace and let the peace of the Messiah to which you were called in one body control your hearts. Let peace reign and let it control the heart of who you are. You know, there are some people that just live in hostility because they don't know any other way. I firmly believe they haven't ever met the, lo- the, lo- the love of God and the peace of God or that would change. But when the peace of God enters a situation, hostility is squashed. I remember the time that we were doing a revival meeting and, and out in the rural area and we invited a... Uh, musician in to lead us in singing and you know through song throughout the week we, it was kind of popular we would invite we would let our our minister of music as myself we would move into the background invite a speaker in and invite a minister of music for the week and so we did that and there was something about it as I sat there and I listened to the songs and I listened and I, there was something in my spirit that was not connecting with his. And that went on for two days. And we're into a five-day revival meeting. So this, is, this started on Sunday. We went Sunday morning, Sunday night. And now we're into Monday. And I knew that something had to be done. And so it was customary that each day we would take the visiting minister of music and and pastor out to lunch and I purposely grabbed a few of the deacons and a few of the leadership to come with us and we're sitting at the table and I saw it happen. There was something not connecting with us as a group and I did one of the hardest things. I hope I never have to do it again. While we were there eating, we dismissed the minister of music not to come back. And when we did that, he went ballistic, shouting, cussing, kicking, throwing, and it determined to us the spirit that we as a group were not feeling was not a spirit of peace, and it was not a spirit of love, and it was a spirit that was hostile amongst the body that was unified. And without anybody saying it, we all agreed he had to go. Very difficult situation. But it was a beautiful situation that happened that night in the service. The people sang, and I was I was leading them. The people sang, they 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 got they you could feel you could feel like as if the the walls that were blackened was now the shades had been lifted. And the sun of God was shining into that building beyond measure and it was an experience that when we got through the end of the week we even forgot about what had happened at the beginning of the week because we said it was a great revival experience it was a good time that we were together you see peace controls the heart and peace is greater than hostility when the peace is the peace of God in and through a believer's life So if you want them to see a face of an angel, if you want the people in your life to see the face of an angel, then you're going to have to focus on friendship, acceptance, forgiveness, and love, and peace. Realizing the fact that it goes back to the very beginning part of having your own tent meeting with God, face to face, as a friend to a friend, confessing your sin and and professing Him as Lord. So in other words they will see the glory of God through you and me. That's what it's all about. And it's not something that you put on from the standpoint okay today's the day that I want people to see the glory of God. It's not going to work that way. It's the fact that you live your life and you do your you 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 breathe God into your life. You inhale and exhale. You inhale the the uh, your fellowship and your worship with God, you exhale the Spirit of God out from your life. So the glory of God, yes, is all about the glory of God, period. But the exciting thing about it is, in relationship to the God of glory, is that He gives us as well a, a reflection So that His glory is seen in and through our lives. Much like the face of an angel. So where are you in your disposition or your presentation in your relationship to God? Now that's not a question to create guilt, I promise you. It's a question to have us together in an excited way, say together, all right, if there's something missing in my life, then I want to commit to something greater. It's realizing that I need to say no to this and yes to this. It's realizing that that I need to to, to take off this and put on this. It's an exciting adventure because when that happens, the, transi- the transaction that happens between... Uh, when we let go of the negative or the sinfulness of our life and we take hold of the positive and the good, then something grand happens in our life for the glory of God around us. We're excited about touching the life of another. We're excited about sharing the claims of Christ with those who are lost. We, we get to the point and we get excited about giving when we can reach a need in someone's life. We get excited when we can go the extra mile or turn the other cheek. We get excited because God's up to something big and He's allowing us to join Him in that bigness. The glory of God is a powerful glory. And it's, it's you know, when I look at it, I kind of look at it this way that, that that God's over here for just a moment and He's waiting for me to get it. You know, and, he, and He's chuckling as I stumble and I stamper and, I, and I'm trying to figure it out. And then when I realize that it's not about what I can do to, under, to, to bring glory, the glory of God in and through my life to others, when I realize that it's about sitting at the feet of the Father, that's when He says, You got it. You went 30-something years of your life and you tried to do it yourself. You tried to do it through your rituals, through your traditions, through whatever you've you've done. But now that you've got it and and I've got your attention, I hope you stay for quite a long time as we have conversation. We have this tent meeting as we're now face-to-face as a son to a father. And before we realize it, boom. The glory of God is experienced and seen. So what do you need to commit to today? I'm not going to give you answers. You you know what you need to do. The greatest commitment that any person can make, if you want to understand God, more or less the glory at this point, you just want to understand what's good Then the greatest decision that a person can make is to commit their life to the Lord Jesus Christ. And how does it happen? It's simple Lord, I am a sinner and I am in need of a Savior. Forgive me of my sin. Come live within my life. That's simple prayer, isn't it? It's nothing drawn out, it's nothing complicated. And if you sincerely pray that prayer, I promise you, heaven will enter your heart in all its glory. God will not say, I'll be back with you. I'll think about it. I'll get with you tomorrow. I'll call you the next day. He will say, now. Now is your time. The time of salvation is yours. A great decision that you and I can make as believers is to say, I want to be in my personal tent meeting with God every day. I want want him to know that I am his friend because I already know he is mine. I want to put my effort forward to say this relationship is serious with me and Jesus is real and I want to enjoy the presence of God. It could be a commitment such as that. Great thing for some of this pandemic, it's caused us to slow down, hasn't it? There's a lot of good that's happened. It's causes to slow down and not only smell the roses, but to fertilize them and to help them grow. <laughs> <laughs> but it also says, you know, take an inward look at myself. Is there something I need to get rid of? Is there something I need to clean up in my life? Is there something that I need to practice in my life? Is there something that I need to do? And we realize that relationship with God is about enjoying His presence. If you who's tuning in virtually have made a commitment to Christ in any way, we want you to give us a call. We want to help you. It's very, very easy to just pick up the phone. I promise you, we're not going to judge you. We're not going to bombard you. We just want to help you, even if it's just praying with you over the phone. And you can call a very simple number, 843-828-3333. It will appear on the screen in just a moment for you as well. But today is a day of celebration, a day of joy, a day of recognizing the goodness of God and the glory of God in and through our life. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you. We thank you that this is the day that you have made, that you have created. And it is worth every part of rejoicing because of who you are and because of the experience of your presence. Father God, for anyone who's listening today, I pray that their hearts have become warmed with your presence and they have sensed your love and they have sensed the power of your work in their life how you have permeated the the very being of each person because of the powerfulness of who you are. Father God, thank you. Thank you so much that you take the time to be our friend, that you demonstrate friendship, that you are all about friendship and acceptance and forgiveness and love and peace. And we give you honor and glory in your name that we pray. Amen. Amen.
1: Lord, I come to you, let my heart be changed, renewed, flowing from the grace that I found in you. And Lord, I've come to know the weaknesses I see in me will be stripped away by the power of your love. Hold me close, let your love surround. of your love as you live in me. Lord, renew my mind as your will unfolds in my life, in living every day. ¡Gracias!